give an account unto the Lord for our lives and for the things that He has entrusted us with in our lives. And, you know, something else that we might learn about today, I, I didn't realize, but today is also called Superhero Sunday. Did you know that? Superhero Sunday was enacted by or put into play by President Ronald Reagan, and it was in honor of single parents. And it's, the purpose behind it is, is to call attention to the fact that there are a significant number of single parents in our um, um, communities and all around our nation, and who obviously spin a lot of plates and carry a lot of responsibilities and don't have necessarily someone to share that with. It's a burden of my own heart, and so I wanted to mention that with you today because it's something that God has really uh, allowed me to look into and peer into different situations in the last several months and, uh, and, and tenderize my heart, but also to open my eyes to the opportunities for ministry and what that might look like for one community church and our responsibility in our own community. And so uh, today is interesting, the, the text and what we're going to be studying about, because it, it goes hand in hand with that. I don't know if you realize, but in our nation today, there's about 34% of households that are single parent households. 34%, that's a significant number to realize one out of every three homes uh, would be in a single parent home, and any of you that are in this room today, single parent would totally understand the the difficulties and the challenges and the gravity of that. By whether you uh, became a single parent through widow, you know, coming a widow, or whether it was by divorce or abandonment or something else. Nevertheless, the reality of single parenting is quite challenging. There's so many opportunities for ministry with that because it becomes a place where, as a church, we can provide mentorship. Sometimes we provide things that are very physical and very real. And I hope you'll listen careful today because the, the message of the hour here is in regards to our stewardship and our management of another mystery. We're studying the mysteries of the New Testament and the purpose of our study comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the why. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Well, it is important for us to not only be stewards of those mysteries, but we better know what they are. And so that is what we're studying right now. There's seven mysteries specifically mentioned in the New Testament. And so we're going to take our time to learn about each one of those. If I'm going to give an account for them, I want to know what they are and the implications of each one of them. And so today we will examine another one. Last week, we were able to study the mystery of Christ in you. And that was a mystery, again, using the term mystery in the Bible means a truth that has been there all along, but revealed now. And so we get to the New Testament and something that's been, it's, that truth has been laid in there all the way through the Old Testament was there. But it wasn't, in reveal, it wasn't revealed in full reality to where we understand what it's about until we see it uh, unveiled in the New Testament. Well, last week was Christ in you. Incomprehensible that the holy living God would choose to indwell human beings. That God would live inside of people that are sinful. Now, we do wrong things, and yet God's Holy Spirit would choose to live inside of each one of us. Incomprehensible. It was a mystery that is still even hard to grasp. Well, today the mystery is no less exciting, that's for sure. And let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 5. 
it unveils another one. We'll begin in verse 30. It says, excuse me, for we are members of his body, this referring to Christ, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. Well, what is it? But I speak concerning Christ and the church. The church is the mystery. Now, it's been there all along. Now, if you watch the verse that just preceded the mystery revelation, it was actually a quote from Genesis chapter 2, where you're dealing with Adam and where God then forms Adam and, and then God gives Adam a bride, Eve, and, and gives them a mission to go be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And well, this whole concept of husband and bride is laid in there, but why? God foreshadowed something for us that we could now understand. Every, all this terminology that's used to talk about Adam and Eve and the relationship, and we watch these things play out through the entire Old Testament, shows us Christ and the church. The beauty of the church is the fact that it's made up of, of people, whether they're Jew or Gentile, it didn't make any difference. Whether bond or free, no more difference. Well, this is also something we see glimpses of in the Old Testament, but didn't become a full reality till the New. You see the glimpses like we did when we, we looked at the, uh, the book of Ruth just recently, where you see a, a Gentile woman who did not grow up in Judaism, didn't understand all of that. That wasn't her deal. But God brought her in, and then she became a part of the family of covenant promise. We see that same thing play out with Rahab the harlot, a Gentile bride who's brought in to be a part of the family of God and ultimately bear children and, and be a part of the very lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you could easily say that through God's dealings, through this microcosm of the church or this foreshadowing of the church, here you are, a bride that's giving birth to the Son of God because it's in the very lineage in Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus Christ himself. And so this is significant, the, the significance of this study today for us is understanding the mystery of the church, but we're going to look at it through the lens of this whole text, which is talking about husbands and wives. Because the way we interact with each other as husbands and wives is the revelation of this mystery. And so it's super important as a manager, I'm going to give an account for my life as a husbandman. I'm instructed in Scripture of, of what my life is to look like and, and how I'm going to interact in my family and especially how am I going to nurture and cherish the wife that God has given to me. And so as we examine this carefully today, I want you to see the pictures of this foreshadowing has been there the whole time. If you look at the first Adam, God, in order to give him a bride, put him to sleep and took from his side and formed him a bride out of his bone and his own flesh. And so just as we see in this Ephesians text talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, we are of his bones, of his flesh, his blood. But it's the same thing. The first Adam, God did this. He put him to sleep and gave him a bride out of his side. The last Adam, God did the same. He put Jesus to sleep on the cross. And as a result, out of his side, if you remember, poured blood and water and we are then redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God takes the, the church in the same manner He took Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. 
And they were to give birth then to sons of God who would, who would worship and adore God and love God for who He is. That was the plan. We realize that sin entered into the equation, but don't miss the fact that well, what has our last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, what has He done? He takes this bride, and in the womb of the church is the seed of the gospel. He is the gospel. And he placed it there that the church would then give birth then to sons of God as we proclaim the good news of the gospel throughout the world and see people by faith come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we do that alone? No, it's a work of God and we're working in, uh, hand in hand with him. The bride of Christ is critical to reaching the world for Christ. Adam was given an incredible responsibility in the garden. He was to be the tiller of the garden, the manager of the garden, was given a wife then that he would ultimately be responsible for as well. And matter of fact, we see this in the covenant relationship that takes place in marriage, and you watch it happen with Adam as well, but by means of covenant means he is now the responsible one for this relationship. And just the same as our Lord Jesus Christ he took upon himself the responsibility of our sin. He didn't commit the sin, we did. And when he took that upon himself and paid our sin debt on the cross, obviously paying the price of our redemption, that we might have eternal life in Christ when we receive him by faith. We enter into a spiritual reality when that takes place. And here it is in Romans chapter 6 in verse 4 that says this, that therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here we are in Christ, the same as Christ is in us. So this whole phrase of we are his bones and his flesh and his blood, how is that even possible? I wasn't there 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on that cross, so how can I be a part of his flesh and bones and blood? I don't understand that. Because Jesus Christ took my sin upon himself. By faith, when I'm trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, my old self, my old man, is dead with Christ. The new man is then resurrected in Christ in a spiritual sense. I am his flesh and bones. I will be with Christ for all of eternity. There's an implication to the marriage, this husband-wife relationship that plays out. We're going to study this whole text today to see why this depicts Christ in the church. So, as it is in the Bible, God always takes simple things that we can understand, very physical things, to make spiritual things that are hard to understand, it makes them easy, or easier. If you remember how Jesus always taught, he would be walking along and using something very physical, maybe a fig tree, or an olive branch, or it was a field, or it was a rock, or it was cattle, or something, but he was always using physical things to teach a spiritual reality so that we can understand. Well, it's hard to grasp the gravity of Christ and the church. And so the link is 
husbands and wives. So here's the beauty of this. If you're married in this room today as husband and wife, your entire marriage is designed to be the, the image, the picture to the entire world of Christ and the church. Obviously, that's a tall order to live up to. But this is the instruction we've been given in which I will be held accountable. Let's look back in Ephesians chapter 5 in the verses that preceded and led up to this so we can understand. Verse 22 said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The husband now, if you notice, I want to, I'll jump to the wives in just a moment, but the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Understanding covenant relationships, always get this, this has nothing to do with him being the king or the tyrant or the bully of his house. That's not what that means. It means he is the responsible one for his home. And as the responsible one, he has this responsibility to nurture and to care. And he's to be like Christ, which means to be firm and fair. At the same time, he's like Jesus, where he is the lion and the lamb. So he can do both of those at the same time. This is a tall order for the men. But I want you to grasp this today, fellas, that this covenant relationship you entered into in marriage brought a responsibility to you because of the value and the high esteem that God has for women. So ladies, don't for a second think that you're in some lesser role by any stretch of the imagination. No, instead God has elevated it extraordinarily high and then given this responsibility to make sure that you're cared for correctly. And the husbandman is then held accountable for it. So now... Here's the, here's the strategy of God. is holding the man accountable. And I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, where Eve is the one that messed up, right, in the fall. Adam does too, but didn't she eat the fruit first? Yeah. So it would seem, why wouldn't God come looking for her? Because after all, she messed it all up. But I want you to notice in Genesis 3, verse 8, after they had both sinned, Adam and Eve both, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to who? Who did he call to? He called to Adam and said to him, where are you? He called out to Adam. Who was the responsible one? It was Adam that was put in the place of responsibility. You know, men, we all recognize this. We were given charge and responsibility of our home, quite frankly, as you were in the pursuit of your wife. You began to pursue after her. The Bible describes how a man takes a wife. If a man finds a wife, he, he finds favor with the Lord. He found a good thing. So there's a pursuit that's taking place here. It's the man who asks usually, in this case, it's the man who asks for the woman's hand in marriage. He's the one that bows down the knee, right, and asks her to marry him. 
He promises he's going to take care of her. She's the one who will leave her parents and especially her father who has been her covering and her protection. She will leave that trusting him to be the caretaker and provider for her and to be the nurturer. You know, we just finished studying a minute ago, or the, recently the book of Ruth. And if you remember how she desired to be redeemed, there was something in her that she, she wanted a husbandman, someone that would take care of her and nurture her for the rest of her day. We saw the same thing take place in Scripture, the way God even provides for widows. I want you to catch the esteem God places here for women. Because God's designed it for a woman to desire to have someone take care. That is true. God's provided for the person to take care. But what if someone becomes a widow? The Bible describes in 1 Timothy 5 that a widow who is a widow indeed, and there's some qualifications for that, but she would be brought into the care of the church to make the church would then be responsible for her to make sure that that woman for the rest of her days is being taken care of correctly. So why do I mention that? Because I want you to catch the high esteem and the high value that God has placed upon women and then has instructed men if you take a woman to be your wife, the high value and high responsibility that has been placed before you in the covenant relationship that you have engaged into, and now you are accountable to the Lord for that. Wives are then given instructions to submit. Wives, submit unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord, well, it's placing yourself under the hand of care of this individual we, we've talked before that words submit in our culture sounds so negative because it sounds like doormat and someone getting tread upon. That is not the biblical term for that at all. Because we are to submit ourselves unto the Lord. And the Lord doesn't tread us. That's not his deal at all. Instead, I place myself under his care for his protection, for his provision. I'm trusting in his direction and his way. But what becomes the challenges in all this, of course, is, well... Sometimes men are not always trustworthy, and they certainly sin. They're, we're not like the Lord Jesus Christ who's perfect, and we don't do everything right, which makes it very difficult in the area of submission. Well, i got to submit to that. What are you talking about? And so it creates some resistance there that it becomes very challenging. It's part of the faith journey for women just as much as there's a faith journey as being a husbandman. I want you to catch today, though, one of the significant things in the Bible you can't miss. God's design with this husband-wife thing is so significant because it depicts Christ in the church. Well, obviously, we have an enemy who hates that. And so the enemy of God, Satan himself, opposes the very relationship of marriage. Because if he can fracture that or break that, then he can use that to leverage against other things in culture, but also to mock the Lord. That's the goal. So how would he go about this if they're entered into a covenant relationship? What would be the strategy? 
Well, immediately in Genesis chapter 3, if you watch what happens, the attack came on Eve. It did not come on Adam. The opportunity was there to have pursued him and try to trick him into doing something. That didn't happen. Instead, the pursuit was to deceive her. Well, how did he go about it? Well, the deception was is to get her to believe that maybe God wasn't telling the truth. And so shifting the words that God said. But the real attack, if you watch, is really on the identity of who she is with the Lord. Now, if you watch this in Genesis 3, 5, it says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, meaning the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's the situation. She sees that fruit, that it would be good for her to eat. She wants to take it. But what is the bait that if you'll eat this, you'll be like God? Guys, she already is. She was created in the image of God. But her, the attack by Satan was this, to get her to believe the false identity that you're missing out on something and that God is holding back on you on something and he doesn't want you to be like him. Well, she already is like him. But he's tricking her on her identity, so that becomes a very easy area of attack. It is why security in a husband-wife relationship is so critical. Because the woman is now entrusting her husband for his care and protection and provision and his nurture and to be cherished by him. If, that is, it is, if she's putting herself in the place of trust there, that is her, she's secure in that relationship. So if I'm the enemy, I'm going to blast away at that to try to ding up the trust, break the security, question the identity, cause everything to become unstable, because then what will happen? Well, what happened to Eve? She went rogue. She went off and did her own thing and stepped outside of what the Word of God said. Now she eats this fruit. Sin happens. But also Adam, is he's just standing off and doing nothing about this and watching it all go by. That's a whole subject for about three minutes from now. But there's a huge challenge that comes in this for, for any woman sitting in the room, and I, I understand. My wife is married to a man who is not perfect. And I know that. Jesus is. To submit to Jesus, man, he, he, he does it all right. But I don't. But Amy's still going to have, it, it, by faith, going to trust me to guide and to nurture and to protect and to do things to do things right, but sometimes I still sin and she doesn't submit unto my sinfulness, but she still submits unto me as her husband, placing herself under the care, not for me to tread over her. No, that's not the objective, but she's placing herself in a position of trust that he is going to nurture and care and he's going to follow the Lord and he's going to do the things that he's supposed to do. Sadly, I don't always do that. Does it change the directive of Scripture just because I don't do my part? No. No more than it changes my directive to love my wife if she's not being very lovable. The directive stays the same. Now, here becomes the challenges. We struggle sometimes in submission because, well, men aren't perfect. And therefore, there's a resistance that comes, sometimes out of even our backgrounds, might have shaped some of this resistance. It might resist through an independent spirit, kind of a survivor mentality because, well, maybe you grew up in a home where your father figure may not have been there 
your mom had to struggle through a lot of things and you've been groomed in the idea of survivor. And so it's very difficult to submit or to place yourself under the care. It's like, well, I trust only sort of, but I'm going to take care of myself and make sure that I'm being cared for very well. And you might even say that, you know, I watched my mom get run over and I'm not going to get run over that way. No way, I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I'm not going to entrust my care and provision to someone else. They'll take care of me and that's, the rest is fine. Well, we obviously say something like, well, I can trust Jesus. I'm not trusting that man. You've got to be kidding me. But now I'm not talking here, guys, about the issues of abandonment and abuses in relationship. That, that's a, another story here. There are times that you get away from that. And I get that. We've talked about those things before. But in a, a home where there's just a relationship that's taking place, and we're not talking abandonment, we're not talking abuses, there's a relationship that's a covenant relationship where the husband is to love his wife and nurture and to care and his wife is to come underneath that, submitting unto that and following in that. Does that sound like a lesser role? Well, yeah, it means follow. It means, well, now wait a minute. If you see the overarching umbrella of the way God's designed this, Who's the head of the whole relationship? Christ. Who's under that? The husband. Who's under that? The bride. You know what's beautiful? The layers of protection that God has intended for the woman because he esteems her so highly. You know, I believe the church as a whole, any one of us, male or female, struggles with independence not wanting to walk with the Lord, kind of going rogue. We run away from God's will, we run away from God's word, and it's a struggle. And that's with a perfect husbandman. So this is a very real challenge, ladies, this word of submission and placing yourself in a, in a spot of being cared for and protected by someone else. There's a resistance to that term or that idea sometimes by kind of a need to do so because of maybe the passivity of, of the husbandman that doesn't take care of things. And if he doesn't do it, well, who is? Sometimes it's because there's a desire for power and I don't like the direction we're going and so through manipulation or control or something, I want to shift the direction that we're going because I don't like the direction he's going. I'm not good with that. No matter what that is. Wives, submit unto your own husbands. That means it's not to every man. It's your own husband. As unto the Lord. That doesn't mean you follow your husband into sin. You're submitting to him as unto the Lord. And the husbands are instructed, husbands, love your wives. In verse 25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife 
loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Now, if you'll notice the action words in there that a husbandman is instructed into, it's about loving and he's sanctifying or cleansing and he's presenting something uh, to himself here. He's nurturing, he's cherishing something. These are proactive action words, which might derive part of the challenge. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave his life, we know this. Jesus was the proactive one. He gave his life a ransom for many. We know that he is the one who, out of love, went to the cross to pay our sin debt. Long before I ever knew anything about him, he already had taken care of business. But he was the proactive one. But if you watch what happens here of a husband giving himself that he might sanctify and cleanse her, that he might present her as a glorious one, that's what the Lord is doing with all of us. He cleanses us with the washing of the word because we get spotted and messy in the world. And so he cleanses us of all unrighteousness by the washing of this truth. Husbands that speak truth in their home, and this doesn't mean you're going around preaching at everybody all the time. And this is you speaking the truth and washing your, your family with the word of God is giving the instruction of the word as a blessing It's of cleansing. So husbands love their own wives as their own bodies. Now watch. The husband is no longer behaving himself as a single man. He knows how to take care of himself, but he's not behaving himself as a single man. Now when, listen to the, what that is. As a single man, I don't have to think about what anybody else is doing necessarily as a married man i'm united as one and so everything i do impacts somebody else so if you watch what happens with this is the husbands to love their own wives as their own bodies and he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but instead he nourishes it and cherishes it but what the struggle is is where would the uh, where would the devil attack this if Satan wants to now disturb this or to destroy the relationship, well, the attack is going to come in the fact that the husband goes passive and is no longer proactive in his care for the garden, his care for his wife or anything else, and just stands by. Well, that's what happens. Genesis 3, 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She gave to her husband with her and he did eat then what was adam's response well verse 12 in genesis 3 says then the man said well the woman who you gave to be with me she gave me the tree and i ate it's her fault and he instantly wants to pass the buck that now god did something wrong you gave me this woman i was doing fine till you messed me all up with her and he didn't want to take responsibility but yet He'd entered into this covenant relationship where he is now responsible for her, but he went passive. I believe in our nation today that there is a plague of passivity with men. And what does it look like? When there's a passivity with men, men will stand by waiting for something to happen and not engage it. There's no proactivity. They're not thinking in advance. There's no, there's no plan. There's, as a result, women who, 
desire to be nurtured and to be cherished and to be loved and to be cared for, well, that, that goes idle. There's a desire for women often to say, I just want my husband to get engaged and to be a part of raising our kids and taking care of our kids. And, and I always have to ask and always having to promote and always trying to get them to get involved with that. And there's a lack of proact proactive love and nurture and care. And where do we get this from? Well, it's our sin nature. And we have to recognize it's real and we have to recognize how the enemy then wants to exploit this to divide families and to cause destruction in our homes. For what purpose? Because he wants to steal from the, of the glory from the Lord himself. And so what does nourishing and cherishing even look like? Well, just as the word describes, you know, as a husbandman, we know what makes us feel good. We know how to nourish and cherish ourselves. So I know exactly what it takes to feel good and to be esteemed and to get rest and to be nurtured and to be energized and what sucks the life out of me and what disappoints. I know exactly what those things are in my life. It's my responsibility to also know those things in Amy's life. And to be able to then nurture, meaning I'm going to come along with Amy and esteem then with her proactively, just like a man would do with a plant who's trying to meet, see that thing grow into something beautiful, there's a lot of care, very specific care. There's times Amy needs me to do things very physical, to lighten a burden, to help her with a load. Sometimes it's very much uh, emotional to engage and to listen and to be a part of that and to not be emotionally lazy. It's easier to be emotionally lazy. Men, sometimes we recognize that it's easier to just divert back to the old ways and if you just blow up and get all big and get angry and go everywhere about stuff, what happens? The room clears, everybody goes quiet because we don't want dad to get all upset. And so what reality is, it's emotional laziness because now I don't have to deal with any problems. Oftentimes ladies are sending, sending their kids to go, go check with your father. When they get to dad, what does dad say? Go check with your mother. And kick them right back. No, often what's happening there is the wife is trying to get the husbandman to lead in the home with the spiritual things that are taking place there. And men will kick it right back and put another burden in a place that wasn't intended to be. Men, when we go passive and we don't engage, it means we're not nurturing and we're not cherishing, there's often a lack of provision, there's a lack of protection, and then all of a sudden, it creates an environment of, I have to take care of myself, I don't trust. Why do we mention all this today? Because God has esteemed the value of ladies so highly. If you watch this play out in 1 Peter 3, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them and with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as heir, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And here's what God does. Give honor, giving the esteem, treating with high value and high respect. And God had set this in order from the book of Genesis. Why? Because it's this incredible mystery of Christ and the church. And the husband-wife relationship then puts on display Christ in the church so that the world can see, ah, 
That's the reality of that relationship. Is it a struggle? Of course it is. How do we go about this in a way that would bring honor and glory to the Lord? Well, Ephesians 5.32 summarizes it. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And here's where we finish today. Let each of one of you love his own wife. Well, what does that look like? It looks like Christ who gave his life for the sake of the church. He's no longer one, independent. No, now it's the body, a union, a covenant relationship. It's the nurture and the care and the cherish because God has entrusted and given responsibility to something. It is to meet needs that are physical. It's meeting needs that are emotional. It's to come alongside. It's putting the areas of protection in. It's engaging emotionally. Like, well, how in the world do you do all that? <laughs> this is the beautiful part. With Christ in you, you are empowered to care for the bride the same way Christ would care for the bride. If you do not have Christ dwelling in you, you will try your best to be a great husband and come up short. Because our fleshly nature is to go against God's way and be very selfish. It's the battle we fight every single day, even as a Christ follower, is selfishness. Husbands, love your wives. And wives see that she respects her husband. You know, sometimes husbands aren't always respectable. And this is the faith journey. It's choosing to respect in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as, serve as unto the Lord. And here's what's beautiful about this. Is it puts, a, it puts on display Jesus Christ the Lord. If I could help you see one thing specific today, there is an immense attack on the family structure of husbands and wives because it has such an impact that goes in all directions with our children. It goes into areas that are obviously with school systems and government and every other direction. But at the end of the day, what is it that God was doing? The husband-wife relationship is to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a husband, I'm a manager of this mystery. What does that mean? That means I will give an account to the Lord someday for my role as a husband. I don't give an account for Amy in terms of her role as a wife. She will do that. I give an account for myself as a husbandman at the judgment seat of Christ. And there will either be reward there for that, re that responsible covenant relationship that I entered into and made promises unto, or I'll lack reward. So here's my encouragement to you today. Husbands, love your wives. And wives, see that you respect your husbands. Let's bow our heads together and contemplate this for just a moment.